Welcome to the Bleeding Cincy Red Podcast, hosted by your two favorite diehard Reds fans, Robert Lee Brewer. Hey. He's there, I swear. (laughs) (laughs) And Brian A. Clems, that's me. I know we've been MIA lately, but since our last podcast, the Reds have been blazing hot, and uh, we we really didn't want to jinx that. So we kind of laid low, at least uh, in audio in the podcast. That said, it's time to come out of our cave and discuss some of the important things, like recapping the first half of the season, looking at the second half of the season, and discussing what to do with Matt Harvey, Scooter Jeanette, and other red legs at the trade deadline. As always, we are not affiliated with the Reds or Major League Baseball. We're just two lifelong fans who bleed Cincy Red. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bleedin, without a G, Bleedin Cincy Red, as we keep that updated daily. Robert does a bulk of it, and it's wonderful, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. And it just hit 300 followers, which is so exciting. Anyway, uh, I think it's time to blast that intro music. You ready, Robert? I am so ready. Go Reds! been a while i know um summer's pretty busy for both of us i think we have like 300 kids or something like that between the the two of us so uh, that keeps us pretty busy during the summer months and um you know when we're not watching the reds we're usually uh, chasing around uh one or many of our kids but uh you know i'm (laughs) and i am uh so excited though about how much the Reds have turned things around since the last time that we had a podcast. Uh, you know, the last time we had a podcast, uh, you know, I don't know what the Reds record was, but it was somewhere in that area between, uh, you know, Brian Price getting fired or maybe a little bit after that. I can't remember, but you know, it, it was dark, bleak times for the Reds. Uh, I know both of us came into the season thinking the Reds, uh, at a bare minimum, we're, we're going to uh, go to the playoffs. I mean, I, I know that we're both like optimistic, where uh, we're both optimistic to a fault sometimes, but um, but we saw this this team as like a winning team, and uh, I think even even if we were honest with ourselves and thought, well, okay, if we didn't make the playoffs, we're at least going to be like respectable this year, and. Uh, have that start it really like was a a punch to the gut in many ways i think a three and 18 start i I think that's what you call depressing yeah (laughs) and uh and and disastrous and it was so frustrating and uh since then though um if you could remove that first month of the season this team would be in the playoff hunt right yeah if i was looking at that record you take it away i think right now we're right around 10 games under 500 um, if you remove that first, if you remove April, that, those few games in March and in April, suddenly we're, we're above 500. And yeah. 
to imagine that that's the team I think you and I were expecting to see all year. Um, it kind of shows that this was possible. That April's making it very difficult, very difficult um, to think that that playoffs are within reach at the moment. And, and so I, I think we probably are without, uh, we don't have a chance for that anymore. But I do think a 500 record still is potentially reachable. Yeah, I, th- I think it is. And if, if you, you know, I was looking at this earlier today, but like since June 10th, and we're recording this before, uh, you know, coming out of the All-Star break, but uh, since June 10th, the Reds actually have the very best record in the National League of all teams. Uh, for a while there, the Dodgers were giving the Reds for a run for their money, but the Reds actually since June 10th are half a game better uh, than even the Dodgers and uh you know, that I know for me, like, that's the team I was expecting the Reds to be. And a lot of it was, like, health, you know, just the health at the beginning of the season and people being injured and, uh, you know, getting Disco back and uh, making the Harvey trade, which kind of helped solidify the, the rotation. But uh, it's pretty incredible, you know, even if the Reds only end up 500 or if they end up a little bit under 500 because there's, you know, we're probably going to talk about this. There's the potential the Reds could trade off like almost half their team at the the trade deadline. I don't think they're going to go that far. But, you know, if they trade some key pieces, you know, the Reds might go back to struggling a little bit because it might bring some uncertainty to the rotation and the bullpen. But uh, it's pretty amazing to see if the Reds are – so close to where like you can go into 2019 and think you know this is a team that can win and you know maybe go for for a playoff like deep playoff run right and and particularly in the past month starting in june the reds have really been making noise and not just beating up on teams that are in the basement kind of like the reds are what's really been impressive has been the way they've been knocking around league leaders and Mm -hmm. uh particularly you know they swept the cubs um they took the series against the indians they took a series against the braves they took a series against the brewers they started knocking off these really good teams that are that are most likely playoff bound or if not right there in the hunt and because of that it doesn't just give you optimism for uh you know having just just being there around 500 going into the future years like you can sense the whole team coming together and you can sense the fact that they can hang with any great team their offense is unbelievable i was reading a stat earlier today uh you may have even shared it on twitter that was talking about since the beginning of 2017 um there's a list of the best offenses in all of baseball and it measured several metrics to go into it and at the top of the list was, um, you know, I, I think that was Houston, of course. And after that were the Yankees and the Indians. And it was like the first five teams were all playoff teams. I think the Dodgers were one, and I forget the other one. But they were all playoff teams over the past, last year and this, and probably this year. And who was number six on that list? But the Reds. The Reds were number six on this offensive list. And what really surprised me was that... Again, a lot of us have been looking since Brian Price got fired as the turnaround kind of started. And But this offensive metric was taking place at the beginning of 2017, which means Dick Williams and company have been building this wonderful offense, and we've had it now for more than 18 months. 
And really what we've been looking for is for the pitching to come around. Early in the year, you know, our offense was cold. But but you knew they were going to come out of it, and they did. And they have it in an incredible way. Um, as, as you know, Votto, Winker, and Suarez are all in the top 10 in on-base percentage in the league. You have that middle formidable lineup of, of Votto, uh, Jeanette, and Suarez um, who've just been killing the ball inconsistent. Like they really don't go into slumps, big slumps. Um, and they, they don't necessarily go into massive hot streaks either. Like they just stay consistently good. And with that, having, you know, the, the breakout of Jose Peraza, which I, as you know, if anybody here listened to our, uh, best case worst case scenario podcast earlier in the season, I was certainly way down on him and he's done nothing more than, than he's done way more than I ever expected. So, yeah, and, and, you know, I, I think a lot of people like, you know, I, I wasn't super high on him. I was still like, in a, a wait and see thing, but, uh, you know, I, I thought, you know, this process is like a placeholder for Sinso. And I think a lot of people felt like, you know, process that person who's not going to make it. And, uh, yeah, like that, that's maybe like the most surprising thing for me is, uh, the way that Peraza's turned it around and just watching him play, he just looks a lot more confident and a lot more like he knows what he's looking for now when he's up there batting and not just swinging at anything that's close. He's like taking pitches that he was not taking before. And, uh, and even in some high pressure situations, uh, showing a lot of maturity that, uh, um, I was kind of, I was kind of worried that he wouldn't get to, but, but he's, uh, you know, hopefully it continues. You, you can't ever say this stuff's going to continue on forever, but it's almost like, I don't know if you feel this way, Brian, but it's almost like with Votto and Winker and Suarez, it's almost like everyone is starting to try to turn into like a version of Joey Votto as far as like plate discipline and like swinging at balls inside the strike zone and not swinging at balls outside the strike zone. Like, you know, even like people off the bench, like Alex Blandino, uh, showing a lot of, uh, patience up there. Um, it's almost like some kind of contagion. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. I mean, Alex Blandino has gotten a lot of grief for, uh, take around, around town for, uh, taking a lot of called third strikes. Um, but I, I think a lot of that is to to your credit and what you said is that this contagiousness of patience at the plate, trying to not swing at balls out of the zone, trying to hit pitches that you can handle as opposed to um, swinging at pitches you can't. I think that's something that people used to lose on Joey Votto years ago. I think they're understanding it now with when he has you know one strike and he gets that pitch that's right over the plate and he doesn't swing and sometimes you wonder why and it's like well he was looking for something else and or maybe that's in a part of the plate that he knows he's going to most likely ground out on and so he avoids swinging at that now with two strikes it's a little different but um and back to jose peraza finding patience while he's still not the most patient uh batter in the batter's box i found this that really interesting which is last year uh he had uh, 518 plate appearances and walked a total of 20 times, which is which is not very good um, if you dive in. This year, he's up to 403 plate appearances, so a little more, like 110, 115 plate appearances fewer at this point. And he already has 22 walks, so he's already ahead of his pace 
he's already ahead of what he got as a total last year. And this year, he's only done it through the first half of the season. I think that's shown some great growth on his part. It's kept him, like you said, from swinging at bad pitches that he can't handle and making outs. And because of that, his batting average is up. His on-base percentage is up. His slugging percentage is even up a little bit. Plus, he's uh, stealing bases like we knew he would. He's no Billy Hamilton, but, you know, he, he's not exactly a, a, a slow guy either. He's actually pretty fast, and I think that often gets lost in the conversation for him. At least it does for me because I used to think, well, if he's never on base, he can't steal bases. So what good is that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah no, and and I, you know, I don't know the um, actual s- stats on uh, Peraza's like walk rate or uh, you know if he, he's walked more at one point or or less at the other, but. Uh, from just the eye test and like the memory test of uh, watching him, it almost feels like the last month he has just really, like all of a sudden, changed into a different person when he's at the plate. And I don't know if the stats back that up. If I look up like his uh, monthly stats, but uh, but I know like in the last month he has just uh, really, uh, at least, just seemed like he's he's. Uh, doing so much more i know he started off so bad that it wouldn't surprise me if like this past month two months he's just really uh like that's where all the walks have started coming in but uh uh one one thing uh you know i was looking at Peraza over the all-star break because you know i was just looking at the reds in general and then i was like shocked to see uh Peraza's like i think it's like 42nd in the national league for position players war which totally wins above replacement, which totally shocked me. Like, I just didn't expect to see him uh, up that high um, for all players. So then I started looking at him, comparing him against other shortstops in the National League. And uh, is actually first in batting average in the league for shortstops, uh, first in hits, second in stolen bases, third in runs scored, and uh, fourth in triples. So, I mean, he's... Uh, getting on base a lot and stealing a lot of bases. And this is compared to other shortstops, which, uh, you know, if if someone had asked me, like, who's, who's the top shortstop at uh, uh, getting hits and batting average and all that stuff, Peraza's not like the name that would have popped into my head among all the National League shortstops. But there he is. He's doing it, and he's only 24 years old. So... Uh, it's pretty pretty exciting. I'm with you. I can't believe I'm on the Peraza bandwagon. I I've been bashing him for like two years now, <laughs> and, and like and to be fair, like two points, which is one. How good does that Todd Frazier deal look now? No doubt. No I, doubt. You know, and, and I know we got. I, I know the Reds got kind of panned for that one a little bit at the time, and even Reds fans thought we should have gotten more. Though we don't really know, you know, behind closed doors, the trade value of players and how it's working out. But Scott Shevler has been a formidable and important key piece to our lineup, defensively and offensively. Jose Peraza has been nothing short of, I, I would argue my second point here, which is if you had to say who was the most surprising player offensively this year, like my vote was certain, would certainly be Peraza because of the, the metrics that you named and pointing out that he's been one of the top hitting shortstops in the league. I never saw that coming. Votto, we expected him to lead the league in on-base percentage like he always does. It's like Suarez, we had been seeing come, you know, as an up-and-comer and and saw this coming from last year. Jeanette, maybe a little, although he's proving that last year wasn't a fluke, which is wonderful. 
And throughout the, all, the the outfield, Winker's doing what we thought he would do. Shebler's been doing what we thought he would do. Uh, Duvall's been, uh, you know, average-wise has been worse and been striking out. He always has struck out at a high clip, but striking out even a little bit more, which is down. But his power numbers are still there. And Billy does what Billy does. And so Peraza clearly has been the biggest surprise offensively for this team, in my opinion. And it may not even be opinion. It may be fact at this point. Yeah, yeah, I to- I'm totally with you on that. Uh, you know, I I think we both saw Suarez as a potential MVP candidate coming into this season, which is why when he got hurt at the beginning, like, <laughs> I was really bummed. Uh, thankfully, he wasn't out as long as we thought he might be. Um, and, of, of course, like, you know, Shepler, like, like I'm a big Shepler fan, so uh, that doesn't surprise me. Uh, Scooter... Uh, the batting average is a little, you know, I wasn't expecting him to leave the league in batting average, but, uh, you know, he showed last year he could hit. I mean, he's shown in the past that he can hit. So he, he's definitely, like, overperforming what I expected coming into the season, but uh, it's not a shock, not the way that uh, Peraza is, um, you know, leading all shortstops in the National League. I think his batting average, in fact, uh, I think might be like 12th or 13th or something in the, the entire National League for all positions. And uh, there's no way I would have expected that coming into the season. And there's no way I would have expected that uh, in April or the beginning of May. Like, it's it's incredible. Because uh, he started off, he was playing horrible at the beginning of this year at the, at the plate. And uh, so, so not only is he where he's at, but he's there in spite of really coming out of the gate, stumbling big time uh, in April. So uh, it's really encouraging, really exciting. And, you know, like sometimes I think like with shortstops and like catchers and stuff, it seems like a, a lot of times there's like this whole defensive component that sometimes slows down the offense uh, side of things. And uh, I'm hopeful that maybe this this is showing that Peraza is kind of feeling really comfortable with the defense part now and is really starting to turn things on on the offensive side. And hopefully this is just a sign of uh, more things to come. From top to bottom, in our lineup, I'd stack it up against most every other lineup in the National League and the American League. There may be some that have better parts here and there, but I think it's very formidable bank against anybody and they've been fun especially once you take out april maybe early may they've been so much fun to watch and i really expect it to be even better in the second half especially as joey Votto does what he does every second half which we know is coming yeah. where it gets super hot it's over 400 you know the power will be there i just it always seems like he makes the adjustment at the all-star break in fact he made the adjustment in the 10th inning at the all-star break when he yeah. uh hit that home run he and scooter man I don't think in my lifetime I had ever seen a red hit a home run in an all-star game. And to see two in the same game, Scooters was so exciting. Votto's was cool, too. Um, that was a lot of fun. So uh, with that said, we've been talking about offense. I want to pivot here to get your take on the Reds pitching in the first half because that had been kind of a melting pot in a mixed bag. And um, a lot has changed since the opening months of the season. You know, Homer's no longer in the tation, though it sounds like he may get added back in. Uh, I'd love your opinion on that. And uh, two, what you've seen that you've liked, uh, you know, throughout the first half and, and the adjustments that the team has made as a whole. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, started off the season, uh, you know, Homer was actually like one of the better pitchers starting off the season. Uh, I think he had like three out of his first four starts were quality starts. And, uh, for the longest time, he was the only pitcher, the only starter that gone seven innings. Uh, thankfully like other pitchers have joined that now, but, (laughs) uh, it took a long time. Like, I think it went into like, I think it went into June before, uh, Somebody besides Homer Bailey threw seven innings, but uh, uh, you know it's just so so rough. I think part of that should be expected when um, you know start the season off like three of your starters are, um, and these are the three actually that have only these are the only three that have made it from beginning of the season to now. Um, Mally and uh, Romano and Castillo. Uh, all three of them came into the season. I think all, all of them had fewer than 20 starts, like career and major leagues. So you're gonna expect some inconsistency from from young pitchers like that. You know, pitchers like uh, you know, you take about any pitcher, whether it's like Scherzer or Greg Maddox or you know whoever, um, that you can always find a few outliers. But most pitchers whether they end up being great or they end up being mediocre, they really struggle when they first get to the majors and uh, have a lot of inconsistency. So I think we, we, we saw a lot of that at the beginning of the season uh, with the young guys, the fifth slot with Finnegan and Reed and whoever that was really inconsistent. I think once the Reds made that uh, trade for Harvey, that started to stabilize uh, things quite a bit. And, um, I don't have the tweet in front of me, but if you break down the Reds' season into like different eras, the Brian Price era was like horrible. Uh, then you have like the kind of era of John Riggleman taking over, and that era was a little bit better, but I mean it was still marginally better. Uh, what really kicked things into gear and got the Reds kind of to a 500 area was the Matt Harvey era. When, when they brought him into the rotation and all of a sudden it's like a little bit more solidified. And then with the return of Disco, that's when things really started to take off. And that's where the Reds started to take off. Because all of a sudden you've got five pitchers that are at least competent and five pitchers that, uh, you know, three, three or four of them are going to have at least decent good games. And the Reds have shown, especially with their offense – and then, like, their bullpen doing so well this year that uh, if the starters just get, like, get through, like, five innings with only surrendering, like, three or four runs, the Reds have got a chance to win the game. So It's absolutely true. They, they do. And I think I pulled up this stat. I don't know if this is 100% the Harvey era, but it, you, you had posted this back in July of the last six times. I'm sorry, back, back a, a few days ago. The last six times through the rotation, here are the ERAs for our starting five. Matt Harvey, 2.38. Tyler Malley, 3.38. And that includes that awful start in Cleveland. So if you can remove that start where he pitched like two innings and gave up eight runs, that would be the think. Yeah, I think the the start before that, like his five – before that sixth, like really horrible start, he had like a two twelve ERA. Like yeah. he was, he's been like lights out. It was lights out, and so everybody's entitled to a bad start. Um, 
Uh, just ask, you know, anyone. Um, but so it was Matt Harvey at 2.38, Tyler Malley at 3.38, Sal Romano, who's been wonderful at 3.62 and really impressed us in his Cleveland game where he gave up those four runs over the first two innings and looked like, and his pitch count was high and he looked like a dead man, never going to make it past the fourth. And then he buckled down and I think he retired something like 18 or 19 in a row, got into maybe the eighth inning even and gave the chance to gave the Reds a chance. And they came, had that great come from behind victory where Votto hit that basis clearing double, which was, you know, one of those memories that I think we'll all have for years to come. And then you have Disco at 4.04. And then Castilla, who's down to 4.75 over those starts. And Disco and Castilla, really, th- their problems have been with the long ball. I was looking that up in, in the home runs they've been getting about. If they can get those under control, their other metrics suggest, by strikeouts and keeping their walk counts down, suggest that their ERAs are going to dip down into the threes too. And if you can continue to get that kind of production out of those guys, I mean – that's a playoff team right there. That's a playoff yeah, team. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, especially with the offense. And, uh, you know, the, the bullpen is, is really just been excellent really from the beginning of this. Well, I shouldn't say from the beginning. Once they got a few of the pieces into the bullpen, like uh, Hernandez was injured at the beginning of the season. Uh, but once once they kind of got things settled there, uh, their bullpen has been pretty pretty incredible this year. And, um, you know, yeah. they tend to more often than not, uh, not give up runs. And so if, if those starters can just get through uh, the beginnings of games with like three or four runs, the Reds offense is able to hit four five, six, whatever runs, uh, is needed to win. And, uh, you know, what's really impressive with this team too is, whether you're talking about the pitchers, you, you know, you mentioned Romano's start the other day, like that was really impressive. I mean, there are so many people on Twitter ready to uh, send him down to the minors and bring up, uh, you know, whoever uh, to take his spot. Anyone. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I was very cautious about saying anything myself till the game was over. And thankfully so, because he, uh, just really locked things down, and um, and he came in. He uh, uh, he he's just he's a really uh, you know I don't know if Romano's ever going to be like a, a top of the rotation type pitcher, but I I think he has shown uh, between last year and this year that he has the ability to be a very solid uh, innings eating starter which uh, is very important for like any team to have that and uh, i think uh, romano is uh let's see here i think he was the first one uh first red not named homer bailey to have a seven inning start and i think he's done that now three out of his last six starts he's gone seven or more innings so uh romano is um, he's not only doing good, but he, he really seems to be like picking it up and, and especially eating the innings right now, which is uh, great and yeah. impressive. 
it uh, probably has helped lead to the some of the success of the bullpen. They're not being overworked like they were earlier in the year. I mean, if I remember correctly, we had a stat or something like over the first five or six weeks of the season. I think the Reds rotation was averaging less than five innings a start. I may be off a little. Maybe it was just over five. But that that's pretty brutal. And that really taxes your bullpen. And considering we didn't have Hernandez, he was hurt. Lorenzen was hurt off the get-go. Um, that, that just we, – we were filling in with guys who – you know, did not have that experience uh, to come in and do well. And once everybody got healthy and we got our starting rotation in line and kind of got Homer out of there, who was apparently dealing with a knee issue. Like, I don't know if that's what was causing the, yeah. the seven or eight run ERA. Um, we got Finnegan out of there, who's lost so much time over the past couple of years. What's interesting about Sal Romano is I think if you go back to our opening day podcast from two years ago, and I think we make a statement about who the, the future starting rotation will be for the Reds, notwithstanding trades like Matt Harvey. But I think if you heard R5, neither of us probably have Sal Romano in it. And on top of that, if you would have dug deeper and said, who were the next four that would make their way in, I bet neither of us had Sal Romano in that too. And so that that just goes to show what kind of a workhorse he's been and how he's maturing and developing. I'm with you. I don't think he, I don't think he's likely to be an ace of a staff or even a top two. But if he develops, if he keeps this up at the mid three ZRA as a three or four and can last into the seventh inning, I mean. I mean, if he's throwing 200 innings and keeping his ERA around four-ish, I mean, that's very valuable to have on any team. Yeah. Uh, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, even the, the Astros would love to just, you know, have have a guy on their, their rotation that does that. I mean, the Astros have the best rotation, I think, in baseball. And yeah, yeah, from top to bottom, but like having... Having somebody that throws 200 innings like, and, and gives you good solid production, like that's uh, super valuable. Yeah. I think for the Astros, I think their worst pitcher this year has been Dallas Keuchel, which is amazing because you know, he was <laughs> yeah. the ace of their staff like two years ago. Yeah. Um, and so I, I agree. I think Romano's – Romano reminds me a little bit of Aaron Harang. Like, yeah, he's got yeah a big, that's exactly who he reminds me yeah, of. Yeah, he's actually. got that big size. Uh, he throws hard, he gets strikeouts, and he's he's quietly underrated. I When Harang was here, it was during a lot of those years where we weren't making the playoffs and not having success. But I, I believe there was one year where Harang, you know, led the league in ERA and was, t- like, tied for strikeouts. And, you know, if he were on a winning ball club, he would have been in the conversation for the Cy Young. He just wasn't on a winning ball club, so he didn't have the wins to stack up against it. But, you know, Romano's kind of like that. He, he He's kind of... You know, on a bad team, maybe he's a one or two. Um, and on a good team, he settles in at a three or four. But if he can have a career like Aaron Harang did here in Cincinnati, um, that would just bode well for our red legs over this window that looks like it's about to open uh, this playoff window, which would be so much fun. So much fun. So much. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so much fun. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm always trying to find the positive and negatives and stuff like that, negative situations. And uh, the one thing I can say is that uh, it's positive about how this season started. Is like now it's just so much more exciting to watch the Reds yeah. after that. You know, <laughs> if, if the Reds if the Reds had just kind of slowly sauntered along to get to, to where they are now, like, uh, what were they, like 43 and 53 or something like that, uh, if they had just slowly 
gotten to that point uh, at like a turtle pace or something, you know, like that would have been one thing. But for them to start off so horrible and now be at 43 and 53, it's like really exciting uh, to see that. I mean, I I looked, I, I was I was interested. It's like June 10th is like really the time where the Reds turned it on. Uh, the past 31 games have got a 21 and 10 record. And uh, uh, on June 9th, the Reds were 22 and 43. They were uh, like 15 and a half games out of the wild card. Um, They're like 16 games behind the Nationals. Nationals are just fun to pick on because they gained so much on them since uh, June 9th. Uh, going into the All-Star break, the Reds are 10 games behind uh, the wild card. Uh, they've made up five and a half games on the field, and uh, they've got a better record than, than anyone else. So it's, like, really exciting. And, like, if there's any positive to take out of this horrible start to the season, it's, like, uh, that is so much more exciting now to see see what they're doing and um, – I, I never thought I'd be excited, so excited about a Reds team that's still ten games under five hundred. <laughs> I know that's that's easy to say. You've never been more excited about a Reds team that's unlikely to make the playoffs. Yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah. it, but it, it's absolutely true. They're bringing eyeballs back from the beginning of the season. Uh, you know, I, I'm di- I'm a diehard fan, so win or lose, I'm always at the ballpark, and I'm bringing my girls to the games. In fact, all three of my daughters have been. Uh, this is the truth. They may not be great in everything, but they are certainly wowing other fans at the stands with their knowledge of Reds baseball because <laughs> I'm training them right. Uh, anyway, um, but but for the first, like, we, we've been to about, I think, six or seven games this year. And uh, for the first four games we went to, the Reds didn't score a single run. We were at. didn't score a single run. And it was so brutal. Like, those games are just not that much fun to watch. You know, because you're losing four to nothing or six to nothing, and there's no offense, and so it it does make it tough. And my oldest daughter Ella started joking that maybe we were the jinx, and uh, <laughs> and I said, yeah, maybe we are. And uh, and then I went with some buddies, and we we did our annual Reds road trip, and we went to Denver to see the Reds play out there, and the Reds scored some runs. So I said, well, maybe it's not me, but we still lost. And uh, so I said, well, I, you know, I I'm not bringing home the wins. But the past few games, we they finally broke through. And of the several games we went to in June and July, they've won every one of them. And every game has been fun. It's been exciting. The pitching has looked good. The offense has looked wonderful. We saw uh, Michael Lorenzen's Grand Slam, which was super exciting. Mm. We saw the next day, I think we went I, I went back-to-back days, and I saw Jose Peraza's Grand Slam. And so that was super exciting. And... This, this team's just a lot of fun to watch, and I expect that to continue in the second half. I don't see any reason why it won't as the starting pitchers mature and our offense kind of continues uh, to grind its way through. So Yeah, I don't know about you, Brian, but I'm almost – like I was so excited going into this season. Like my excitement level was so high. But I think I'm almost like more excited – going into the second half of the season than I was at the beginning of the season. And I think maybe part of that is because I'm actually seeing, you know, this past 31 games where they've like just taken off, actually seeing them do it as opposed to like seeing on paper that this team could come together, like actually seeing the team coming together. Yeah. Uh, So like now going into the second half, like I'm like, like I know that it's not likely. Um, I know that 
it's like you know ninety. 9.8% chance the Reds aren't going to make the playoffs. But there's still like a 0.2% chance that they could. I mean, even like bookmakers have said that the Reds are like the best bet in baseball uh, coming out of the All-Star break uh, for for making the playoffs. Not that I'm condoning betting to anyone or anything like that, but, <laughs> but it just shows that like even the people who make a living off of odds making are looking at the reds as like out of all the unlikely teams uh because and you know the argument is like you know if you bet on teams that are already projected to make the playoffs you're not gonna make any money or whatever so out of all the unlikely teams the reds are the ones that everyone is looking at is like if anyone's gonna do it it's gonna be this reds team here and that's really exciting um going into the second half um i've actually got uh you know, just on the spur of the moment, like, just let everyone know who's listening, me and Brian just, uh, you know, I was talking about the kids earlier. It's, like, totally true. We both had a window that just opened up where we're like, okay, we can do a, a podcast, so so we're doing it. Uh, spur of the moment, uh, I saw this article recently, Brian, of uh, MLBTradeRumors.com uh, listed, like, the 75 top trade candidates at All-Star Break. And the Reds actually had one, two, three, four, five, six people on that list. I, I'm going to run through this list, and you tell me whether you think the Reds should trade them or not trade them. Sounds great. Okay. So uh, the first one that pops up on the list, actually ninth uh, on their list, is Matt Harvey. Matt Harvey. I would tell you that when the Reds traded for him, I think they told him, and as fans, they didn't tell us, but they acknowledged that they were trading him to regain value and flip him at the trade deadline. Should they trade him? The answer is most likely yes. They should probably trade him, um, particularly as he continues to pitch well. I wouldn't I wouldn't trade him at this moment unless the package is there. I would try to get another starter two under his belt to continue. But his last couple starts have really been almost dominating uh, back to his early days in the re- in the Mets system now i i have wavered on this a little bit in the past i was like 100 percent trade him and now i i'm kind of in this minority where i think if the deal isn't there i don't trade him anymore for the sake of trading him i would have done that before and now i don't now because of the confidence that this team has gained and because of the way that they are playing and while i am a, a big proponent i i try not to wear my heart on my sleeve and I try to be very data and analytical and logical about things. And all logic says to trade him. At the same time, there is something to be said about helping build a winning culture and getting us through the season to have that ready for 2019. And because of that, because of that, if the I would say two months ago, if you told me the Reds were going to hang on to Matt Harvey the whole year and then let him walk as a free agent, I would have said you were nuts. Now... I'm kind of in the boat where – and John Fay actually, for the Cincinnati Enquirer, just had an article about this today or yesterday, actually, um, where my, my thoughts have been evolving. And then he kind of put into words what I had been thinking over the past week or two, which is you know, if they trade him for great pieces, great. But if they don't and they hang on to him and he still pitches well, building his value down the year, which he wants to do, mind you, and that would only benefit the Reds, um, there is something to be said for hanging on to him 
going into next uh going going through the rest of the season and helping continue build this winning culture and excitement um for the reds fan base what do you think yeah i'm totally like we didn't talk about this ahead of time but i'm totally in the same boat as you um i at the beginning just thought well if they get anything for matt harvey when they first did the trade if they get anything for matt harvey that'll be a win because uh, they weren't going to get anything for Mesoraco. Um, at this point, though, the Reds are so hot. The pitching is, the rotation is so stabilized. It's like they're almost like competing with each other now to to have the better starts among each of them, uh, which I think gets to that winning culture to where I'm, I'm starting to get to the point where if the Reds don't trade him, I will actually be okay with that where there was for the longest time I would have felt like, you know, they, they messed it up if if he got any kind of value and they didn't get anything for him. At this point it's like if they stick with him, but that leads to uh Mali, Castillo and Romano all basically going well, I mean they are all literally going through their first beginning to end season as pitchers. Uh if they do that and are are winning at the end of the season and through the end of the season, I think that'll be a huge win for the Reds. Uh, and maybe it might even be more important than getting any kind of prospects unless they get something really good dangled in front of them. I mean, prospects are great, but the Reds have one of the best farm systems right now already. And if you don't, if you're not getting something that's going to return value immediately. Uh, it might be even more valuable to have a Matt Harvey uh, add that culture. So, so yeah, that was a great answer. I, I didn't mean to keep going on, but like you, you so okay. So uh, next on the list here was uh, ranked number fourteen and uh, possible trades again from the MLB TradeRumors.com site is uh, Rizel Iglesias. Rizel Iglesias, I find very fascinating because. I really like him. I I think he kind of anchors the back end of that bullpen. He's controllable for several years, which is kind of what you want in your uh, window when you have that window and it's opening. That said, I think he probably carries the most trade value over any over any player that we have. And so my opinion and stance on him is this. I would say out of all the Reds that are viable or available for trade, he's the one I'm most likely to consider trading, and it's because I think he brings in the most value. And I think he is someone that we can replace in the back end of that bullpen as our guys are showing the strengths. I believe that that's a role that Amir Garrett can even fill in the short run. Although I we talked about this offline before, that I would still love to see Amir Garrett starting. That said, I think he's big and I think he's strong. And as his slider develops more and more, he's got that Randy Johnson-like flow because he's so big. Um, I think we can fill in that position easier than other others. And so if someone is willing to overpay for the extreme value of Iglesias then I am okay trading him. But of course, I don't feel like our hand is forced to trade him. And I would want something greater than the package that the Indians gave up recently for Brad Hand, even though they got that that uh, Majea or however you say his name, catcher, who's a really highly touted prospect. We don't need a catcher. But if they can net some really good pitching prospects that are close to major league ready, then 
I'd be listening. Right. Yeah. Like I, I totally feel the same on this. Like with the Glacius, I feel like the Reds farm system is so deep on the offensive side that if they're just getting some like mid-level pitching that's not ready to come to the major league or uh, just some great bats, I don't think it's worth it because, you know, there are so many teams like chasing relief pitchers and the Reds are really, they're going to want a lockdown bullpen for next year. But Rysel might be the Reds' best chance to get that like top end starter that uh, can really help the team out and uh, solidify things. Like maybe he's part of a, a package that uh, does that, or maybe he's at least part of a package. Maybe he at least gets somebody that can be part of a package that'll get an ace. So if the Reds can get like a top 10 prospect who then maybe is flipped for a starting pitcher, I don't know, but um yeah, he, he really is. He's, he's really interesting. I would love to see him continue to be a Red. I know, like so many of the Reds, uh, he wants to be a Red for life. He said so. Uh, but then, you know, of course, there's always the economics of whether that's feasible or not. And, uh, you know, he's, he's a really great case. So next on the list, uh, speaking of people that want to be Reds for life, is uh, Scooter uh, Jeanette. He's uh, number 57 on the list. Scooter has become one of my favorites. Uh, I really thought it was a fluke last year. This year, it's clearly not. He's continued that trend now for 18 months. I've read several articles that have talked about many facets of his game. I mean, we all recognize that defensively he's a bit challenged, but but he's done okay enough. And like offensively, the uh, the two things I notice is one, well, three things actually, which is one, his uh, batting average on balls hit and play um, is a little on the high side. So chances are that's going to come down and he won't necessarily be able to keep up this 230 average. Maybe, I don't know. Two, since he's come to the Reds, he's he's developed a launch angle that has been higher and more effective and had a higher exit velocity on the balls that he's hitting, which has played extremely well in our ballpark. And so because of those things, it it seems to be clear that this isn't a fluke. And so I was always on the trade scooter at his highest value point, which is at this moment right now. Now I'm not so sure. Now I think you explore and you listen. You listen to what people are offering. But at this moment, it doesn't seem like people are clamoring for a a good hitting second baseman. It doesn't seem like people are as convinced as we are that, that Scooter Jeanette is going to keep this up. And... More importantly, if you can't get a lot for him, you aren't in a position where you need to trade him at this moment. It's just kind of one of those, you know, his, his value probably isn't going to be much higher. Although if he keeps this up, then then I guess it is. I would think with Scooter, what I would like to do is either one, I would like to consider hanging. If you can get a wonderful deer for him right now, I consider it. Or you wait till the offseason. Or the other option that I think should be on the table at this point is I think he has earned consideration for an extension. Now, that extension has to be reasonable. In my opinion, it can't be more than three years, maybe a four-year play or team option for him. And I think those three years have to fall somewhere in the neighborhood of around 35 to $40 million. I find it hard to believe that he would get a contract bigger than that elsewhere. 
because of his defensive liabilities. And also, and I think you found this article, and I was reading on it, and someone put into words which I couldn't, which was, he's just got this magic here in Cincinnati. He's from the home, this is his hometown team. He said he grew up going to Riverfront watching games. Uh, he ha- has had great success since he's been here. And he does seem to be uh, a leader on this club. And so because of that, I've been more inclined to do it. And I think there is kind of a middle ground for them to have an extension, to have him here for that window um, without risking, you know, years down the road like you did with Homer Bailey um, and doing it in a way that is smart. So um, he, he's probably the most controversial on this list because if the Reds trade him, half the fan base will be like, you're morons. He's our, one of our best players. And if if they sign him to extension, half the fan base is going to say, you guys are stupid. You know, how do we give that much money <laughs> to a to a guy who's, you know, only had a year and a half of success? So um, I, I'm not 100 percent sure the the right answer. But but that's where I fall is if the hall is right, you do it. If not, he's now a proven commodity for us. If you get that reasonable extension and I think three years at about, you know, even say 40 million dollars to me it is reasonable. Yeah, I, I think, uh, well, you had made some comps on Scooter during one of our best-case, worst-case scenario episodes. Uh, anyone who, who wants to have uh, fun really diving into the, the Reds, uh, you, you know, you can still check those out. There's still really interesting stuff in those episodes. But uh, with Scooter, what was really interesting is some of the comps you brought up, uh, you know, just off the top of my head, uh, like Jeff Kent, um Ian Kinsler, uh, Brandon Phillips himself. Uh, but these were all comps with Scooter, who last year was his age 27 season. They were all uh, comps of people through their age 27 season. That's what uh, Baseball Reference Site brought up. And which sounded great, but you, you just didn't know if it was last year was some kind of fluke that threw off the data. And what we're seeing this year is that, you know, it's very conceivable that those comps were legitimate. And uh, out of all those comps, like these people all at this age level, uh, 28, 29, 30, 31, and 32, uh, they averaged like three all-star games apiece. Uh, One of them, I think, had like four all-star games because they were in their prime. This was like their prime time. And I think that's where Scooter is at right now. So I can see that and I can see like a where he could be hitting his prime and uh, the Reds might see that, but that doesn't mean other teams see Scooter as that type of piece. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. And if they don't, and you're not getting the trade value uh, that he should probably be getting I I am totally on board with signing the extension if that's the best value the Reds can get out of Scooter is to keep him. And, uh, you know, some, some people will say, well, he's blocking Nick Senzel or he's blocking Jonathan India, who uh, was the Reds' first-round draft pick this year. Uh, you know, other potential second baseman, Shed Long. You know, we're very deep. We have Dilson Herrera. And, like, that's great, but Scooter's actually doing it right now at the major league level. And if we get a team-friendly deal that maybe puts them through 31, the age 31 season or the 32 season, I would be totally happy with that. 
And then what happens is you either try to move like Nick Senzel into the outfield or Scooter into the outfield. I don't know who would fit better out there. Or all of a sudden Nick Senzel becomes your potential ace of the staff, like trade uh, piece. And, you know, like I don't, I, I want to see Nick Senzel play for the Reds, but I also want to see the Reds just win. And this is a team game. And sometimes the value like turns into, well, is it more valuable to trade Scooter for like a number 20 prospect uh, in the organization or trade your number one prospect to, to bring back like a, a Noah Syndergaard or um, whoever, Chris Archer or yeah, whoever, or DeGrom. Some, some other pitcher that's going to like, you know, lead the staff, you know, yeah, or DeGrom. Uh, exactly. And this is where, like, I think one of the big things for the Reds going through uh, the rest of this season and the next season would be roster management and figuring out who are we moving and who are we keeping. Uh, but, yeah, Scooter, like, I'm totally on board with uh, keeping him. I know some people are going to get really upset hearing this episode <laughs> because because of that. But I also know that if I would have said the opposite, there are going to be people upset, like, how could you talk about trading an all-star? Um but I think those comps that you made, Brian, heading into the season, uh, totally opened my mind coming into this year. Just let's see what happens this year. And now what he's doing, everything that he's doing for me is like all of a sudden like, man, those comps were like dead on. And even with the fielding, like he is not ever going to be Brandon Phillips at his prime as a fielder. But I've seen him make some plays. Like he is... He still can make some plays from time to time. So it's not like he's out there. Uh, he's not the worst second baseman in the league by any stretch out in the field. Yeah, he's not he's, embarrassing. He's not going to be a gold glove winner, but yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with you on, on all these fronts. And like, I, I really just think I, I, one of the things you, you just brought up this excellent point was that suddenly we have a pr- proven commodity in the – in the uh, prime of his career. And a lot of times we do people say, well, so-and-so is blocking this other prospect and this prospect. We still really don't know if they will be great. They may come up and turn into AUNL Suarez, which is amazing. They all also may come up and turn into Brandon Larson. You know what I mean? A very forgettable early draft pick that had all the world of potential was amazing in the minors and came up and was kind of a dud once he got to the major leagues. And so, you know, that said, I think Nixon Sell is going to be great. India, I think, is going to be great, but I think he's a few more years away. And this buys us some time. I'd rather, you know, I think we only talk about blocking positions when you have someone who's making an absurd amount of money and not performing. And yeah, it's possible if we sign Scooter to an extension in two years, he could be that guy. But right now, it just doesn't seem like that. And sandwiched in between Votto and uh, Suarez is working. I mean, I, I think I joked. We joked at the beginning of the season when we started seeing the lineups that were projected <laughs> online yeah. for the Reds lineup, starting lineup for the year. And they had Scooter as the cleanup hitter. And we thought yeah. that was a joke. I mean, yeah. I, I thought yeah. it was a joke. And now I sit there and say, you know, when Scooter is not in the four slot, I'm like, the hell are you doing, Riggleman? Get him into the four <laughs> slot. <laughs> so so I, I would, I'm with you. I'd rather take the proven com- commodity right now if you can get that team-friendly deal because I really don't think he can get that uh, a huge deal elsewhere. I think – 
his biggest value right now is with the Reds. And I think it's in both their interests to find some common ground here to have a reasonable contract that doesn't hurt the future of this team while this window is coming, but also kind of locks him up. And then you have the safety net of Nick Senzel if he gets hurt or he doesn't do well. And you can figure out, like you said, the problems of where to play any of them uh, down the road. They all seem to be a little flexible enough. That's something that the Cubs and Joe Madden preach is that, you know, have athletes who can play multiple positions. And so that gives you a lot of flexibility. And I think the Reds are on, on that way. Yeah, definitely. Um, so next on the list is Billy Hamilton. He's number 58 on this list. Sure. Billy Hamilton, to me, trade him. Yeah, I, I, I think for, I think it's pretty simple with him. Yeah, I forgot I forgot he was on this list before. I was I was like, oh, Rosario Glacy is probably the most tradable candidate. Uh, no, Billy Hamilton. Uh, there's Billy Hamilton has complete value to a team, not necessarily as a starter, but as a late inning speed and defensive replacement. Um, he doesn't handle the bat well at this point. If he's going to have this breakout season offensively, it just doesn't seem like it's going to be here and. He could really be a difference maker for a playoff team, in my opinion. I mean, he was a difference maker for us when he first came up. I believe that is true. I believe there is value there. And so I'm not expecting a mega package for him. Uh, I'm not expecting anything like that. And two, he's he's arbitration eligible, I believe, for the last time. And in his last year, next year with the Reds, his price stays going to go up. That's the kind of money you could use to lock in Scooter or to offer to try to find another Suarez type of deal with Mally or one of our pitchers. And so because of that, we have plenty of outfield talent. Like you were saying, Senzel could possibly shift out there. Scooter could shift out there. We're not hurting for outfielders. And I think it is... And I love watching his defense. I love it. It's one of yeah, my I do too. And his I speed do. on the base pads. It's been fun, but it's a commodity that this team is a winning team can't take right now. We we won't be able to afford it moving forward. And so I, I'm all on the the trade him and get what you can get. And then we as Reds fans can root for him in the playoffs with his new team as long as it's not the Cubs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you know he's he's definitely I I don't think he's part of the future Reds. And like you said, with the salary, I've seen some people say like it's it's possible it could jump up through arbitration into uh, the eight figures, like ten million plus, and that's just um, way too much to be spending on him. Uh, when when we're going to be like chasing other stuff, uh, whether that's you know extensions or pitchers or whatever. So okay. Uh, Next up, uh, I'm actually going to name both of these guys at the same time. Uh, the final two on the list, 66-67, are uh, Jared Hughes and David Hernandez. They are ones that if people are willing to overpay for middle relief, then yes, I'll, I'll trade them. If they're not, and you're not getting a good overpayment, and I am someone who doesn't believe that middle relievers have necessarily a long lifespan of being very good, if you look over the, the, the course of the past couple of decades in baseball, there are middle relief pitchers who bounce around, who are terrible for several years, and then are suddenly good for like a four-year window. And then after that, kind of fall off the face of the earth again. In fact, the Reds had a pitcher, Ryan Franklin, who was a nobody. He started for us. He wasn't particularly good. And I don't know if we waived him, if we just let him go. I really can't remember. And he ended up in St. Louis. And for like two years, he was a dominant closer for them for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> because that happens in St. Louis because they're just <laughs> so lucky all the time. 
And uh, and then he fell off the, the face of the earth again. And so I don't take a lot of stock in middle relievers, uh, especially not young middle relievers who have a lot to prove. I, I think young middle relievers have a lot to prove. I also think it's nice to have a veteran presence. Uh, those two things said, if you can have a well-rounded bullpen, that's great. If those two guys can get a, a king's ransom for a middle reliever on the open market um, in the trade market, then then yeah, I, I definitely would be willing to trade them. If they can't, if you can't, I don't trade them for the sake of trading them because they are locked into very friendly deals for next year. Um, they will still be of value to teams next year if we still needed to trade them. And hopefully we wouldn't because we will be making that playoff run that all of us have been been really waiting for yeah i'm totally uh, in the same train of thought with you on this uh i i kept kind of at first going back and forth on you know should we trade them not trade them like you know right now they're like pitching so good that they're probably never going to be more valuable um so if if we get a good offer definitely jump on it if it's like you said just a trade to trade like no because uh both of them were brought in. I remember both of them at the time not thinking much about the signings, but still finding it interesting that both of them were signed because they were ground ball pitchers and had a track record of ground balls, uh, which is perfect for Great American Ballpark to, to be a ground ball pitcher. Um, so you're not giving up all those home runs. And um, so knowing that, and knowing that's their specialty and that plays to 81 of the 162 games of the year uh, on the Reds, like if you're not getting a great value, keep them. They're both on great, as you mentioned, team-friendly contracts for next year. And I think Hughes, we even have like another year and maybe even a fourth year with a club option. I can't remember. I can't remember if it's two with a club option or three with a club option, but uh, – you know, these, these guys are, are locked into like, what, two or three million a year. I mean, that's that's great to have that uh, solid, reliable presence in the bullpen. Uh, but like you said, like if, if they if they get offered like a Castillo, like a Castillo type value, I don't know what that value is for a middle relief pitcher. If they get some kind of like great deal like that, like the Reds got for uh, Straley with the Marlins, like, yeah, jump at it. But uh Otherwise, no. One person who surprised me that wasn't on this list, I'm just going to ask you real quick about him, is our, our man uh, Duval Star, because uh, I, I would think that he would be on the honorable mention on this list. Like, what, what are your thoughts on uh, Adam Duval? I'm surprised he wasn't on that list, too, because he's someone who I, I've grown to just kind of personally like. He seems like a good guy. I enjoy his defense out there. Um, he he does seem to hit home runs at the most opportune times, but to me, with with if Billy's out, then there's a spot for him. If Billy's here, then we get stuck in this weird rotation of of players. I think Scott Shebler has proved he needs to be in the lineup every day, and I think Jesse Winker has proved he should be in the lineup every day. Um, they're both lefties, which makes it you know better to have Duvall as that third outfielder to kind of balance that attack and with his defense. But he's been swinging and missing at a higher rate this year, um, so that averages down. And it seems like he would be almost a better fit for some other teams from a defensive, from an outfield standpoint, potential 
DH standpoint in the American League that he's someone I don't have a problem trading. It's kind of like this. If if I think about all these players and like this is like if you get the right deal, you trade Matt Harvey. If you get the right deal, you trade Scooter Jeanette. If you get the right deal, you trade those middle relievers or Iglesias. Uh, Billy Hamilton, right or wrong deal, you trade him one way or the other. It is just time to, to move on and, and cheer for him somewhere else. And Adam Duvall is one who I think I don't need a King's Ransom for Adam Duvall. But if I get a decent offer for him and open up that spot for Trammell, um or potentially Scooter next year if there's an extension or Senzel next year then I am completely okay with that. I don't need to be blown away by a trade offer for him. Um, I don't want to completely undersell him like I would be willing to for Billy Hamilton. Um, but but Duvall, I, I, I think, I, I, think I, I would be completely okay trading him. And I would be a little sad because he also, I believe, grew up a Reds fan and is from Kentucky and everything. And I like guys who are kind of hometown guys or like, like being Reds. So that's always what makes that kind of thing painful. But I do try to take away the the emotional element a little bit you know my kids can't do that i mean when when i told them that uh that scooter Jeanette may be traded i mean they almost broke into tears you know because he's one of their (laughs) you know their three their favorite red is joey Votto, but then you know two of my daughters Jeanette is is their next favorite and the other one loves suarez so um i i just uh, i i don't want to be wearing that emotion and making an emotional deal by keeping him just because i like him um i i think there's room for improvement at that spot in the lineup and in the field and because of that i i think he's definitely very tradable yeah that's so funny about scooter uh he had like a little video series he did in the uh, spring training showing like his routine and stuff online and uh, it was like two or three parts and uh i remember i started watching like the first one just kind of out of boredom really and uh, you know, just kind of wait for the season to start. And uh, my two youngest ended up walking over and watching with me. So then we ended up watching like all all the parts of this series. And uh, uh, my two youngest, their favorite uh, red now is Scooter. So, so it's funny that. Uh... Oh, he's he's a hero to the kids. He's fun. He's not big. I think I think kids can relate to him a little bit better too. It's kind of like it's kind of like in the NBA where. LeBron James is is the best player on the planet and tons of people love him like I I really enjoy him but more kids have Steph Curry jerseys and you're like why (laughs) it's like because not everyone's going to grow up to be the freakish unique size that LeBron James is and but a lot of kids who can grow up to be Stephen Curry you know and I, I think there's something to be said in baseball about you don't have to be huge to be a superstar. And Jose Altuve proves that down in Houston. And I think Scooter Jeanette is proving that. I mean, he's my side. I think I'm heavy, way heavier than him. But I think height-wise, we're about the same. And so I, I think there's something to be said about a guy who grinds it out, who smiles a lot. He and Suarez smile a lot, look like they're having fun. Like Joey Votto yeah. always tries to look so stoic, um, yeah. e- even when he does – he, he does have a little emotion. Um, but those other two just look like they love playing the game. And Barry right. Larkin was like that. I mentioned it before. I will always love players who look like they love playing the game and love playing for our team. And so yeah. um, I, I'm glad your kids love him. My kids love him. And so I'd be sad to see him go. But I, I recognize that if the right deal is there, he's gone. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I'm hoping – I I I'm at this moment kind of hoping for uh, – 
the right extension to be there, which you know is suitable and works for both the club and if it's the long term health of the club and for Jeanette to be happy and yeah, make him make him a long time red. Uh, before we wrap this up, because uh, I loved all those questions, it was wonderful going through these, and I, I we definitely have to do another podcast when we get to the trading deadline, um, especially to see what deals have been made and kind of evaluate them, or maybe talk about what deals haven't been made. I don't know. But before we go, you found this stat, and ever since I saw it, it has just been it has just been blowing my mind, blowing my mind, and I have to mention it before we go. And it was shared by uh, Jeremy Frank on Twitter, and it was at MLB random stats. Follow this. It's a great Twitter feed. And I think you know where I'm going with this. Yeah. And he shared this. You found this this tweet, and my mind is blown. And and he says, this could be my favorite stat ever, and maybe mine too. Joey Votto pop-ups by year. Now, now I believe he went by fan graphs, and the definition of a pop-up was within 140 feet of home plate which remember you know first base is 90 feet so it goes beyond into getting into that outfield range where you know if the second baseman runs out to the out you know to the edge of the outfield and catches it they're not counting that as a pop-up this is strictly about 140 feet so a, a true true truly defined pop-up here are joey vado's pop-ups by year this is unbelievable and starting in 2010 he hit zero in 2011 one in 2012, one. 2013, one. 2014, one. 2015, two. Ooh. <laughs> 2016, zero. 2017, one. And so far in the first half of 2018, he has hit zero. I mean, I hit more pop-ups in three games in softball than he has hit in the past eight years, nine seasons. Um, that, that's, that just blows my mind and i think speaks to the greatness of the greatest reds hitter who ever lived joey Votto, and uh his hall of fame worthiness and uh, i mean i mean could you oh my gosh yeah that 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 one really threw me off and right before i i saw that one i don't think i retweeted this one i saw c trent rosencrantz uh baseball writer um said, you know, in Votto's 6,563 plate appearances that he's had, this blew my mind even more. Well, I don't know if it blew my mind even more, but, like, both of these pop-up stats so are just, like, crazy. But in all of his plate appearances in Major League Baseball, Votto has never popped up to a catcher, a pitcher, or a first baseman. Ever. <laughs> Like, that just doesn't even sound, like, possible. I'm not making any noises because I'm just sitting here in shock. In shock. Although I'm I'm thinking through my memory, and I am someone who watches nearly every Reds game, either in person or uh, on TV, or at minimum listens to them uh, on the MLB app, or, or listens to Marty and the Cowboy on the radio. I can't ever remember him doing it. And, <laughs> and that's why. He just, his swing... That's insane. That's insane. Like Joey, Va- or I'm sorry, Ken Griffey Jr. may have had the most beautiful swing there ever was in baseball, but I I would say that Joey Votto has the smartest swing in all yeah. of baseball. All of I I I can't get over this, and so I think we, as you you and I have both said many times, we are witnessing greatness, 
and you very rarely do you get a chance to witness that kind of greatness um especially as a fan of a small market team uh, of a guy who's been here you know i'm hopeful that that he spends his whole career here and that as he ages he still morphs into a very valuable on-base player um maybe with a little less power and makes this contract worth it and so far the contract has been worth it um, yes, it is. Those stats are just just crazy, and <laughs> it is it is is an, I, yeah. I mean, all the home runs that he's hit. I mean, he he launches stuff. He, he knows how to use a launch angle, and for him to have only missed on that launch angle seven times since two thousand ten. Like, how, how's that possible? <laughs> I, like, I, I could understand somebody just always swinging over the ball and. It's always a ground ball, but for him to hit so many uh, <laughs> home runs and stuff, to only have seven the, pop-ups, like it just doesn't sound possible. Those are mistakes, you know, and that just shows yeah. you how few mistakes he really makes. I mean, when he he'll strike out, everybody strikes out. But but last year, well, last year he didn't really strike out. Um, <laughs> this year it's been up a little bit, but again, once he gets in that hot second half, he he won't strike out at all. Um, but I just. I, I just I hope all all the Reds fans out there are just appreciating his greatness. And I mean, if this guy, if the voters don't vote him in first ballot Hall of Fame, uh, I, I will be extremely disappointed. Sometimes I'm disappointed in that process anyway, but I will be super disappointed because um, we're just witnessing one of the best hitters of this era, and not only of this era of all time. So, yeah. Anyway, on that note, I just want to thank everybody for tuning in to our bleeding cincy red podcast we hope you enjoyed it if you enjoyed it please 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 rate us on itunes those ratings really do help um and and our fan base has been growing like i said on twitter be sure to follow us on twitter at bleeding cincy red with no g and on facebook at bleeding cincy red um also if you like what you hear tell your friends Share it with others. Let them know that this is the podcast you should be listening to if you're a Reds fan. And as always, I'd like to send out a very special thank you to uh, our favorite Red, Barry Larkin. We're sure he's tuned in somewhere. Go Reds.